We continue our sermon series in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, words will be on the screen behind me. Also in our church app, there's a sermon listening guide that will help you follow along in the sermon. Also, the scripture is printed there as well. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. That's referring to Stephen's stoning. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Haddon Robinson, who was the former professor of preaching at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, tells the story of leading a tour of people in Turkey to see the churches that are described in the book of Revelation. And he said on the last night of the tour, they were eating dinner in a hotel along with their guide. 
And this guide had been with him the whole time. Uh, he had been in the United States for 10 years or so, so his English was flawless. But he began to ask at that dinner serious questions about the Christian faith. And as he asked more and more questions, Haddon you know, said to him, it sounds as though you're a follower of Islam. And if that's the case, if you were to die, would you be sure that you could stand before the presence of Allah? And the man quickly said, no, because five things are required of Muslims. I've only done two. And so Haddon went on to share the gospel with him, and they talked deep into the night. And towards the end of their conversation, he said to this guide, he said, listen, you seem very serious about the Christian faith. It would be not faithful of me to ask you if you would want to put your faith and your trust and your confidence in Jesus Christ. This is how the man responded. You don't know what you're asking me. Do you know what would happen if I did that? If I announced it to anybody, my wife would leave me, my family would disown me, my boss would fire me, I may want to leave to go back to the United States, and the government would not give me an exit visa. I'd give up everything. You go back home tomorrow. I would not expect you would support me, and I would starve to death in my own culture. Now, contrast that with a cover story that was on Time magazine titled, Does God Want You to Be Rich? And Time magazine, to answer this question, called 770 self-professing or described Christians and gave them statements and said, agree or disagree? Here were two of the statements. The first one, God wants people to be financially prosperous. 61% agreed, 29% disagreed. Poverty can be a blessing from God. More people disagreed with that statement than agreed with it. The story of the guide in Turkey is one of coming to Christ and losing everything. The story in Time Magazine is a story of coming to Christ and getting rich. So which is it? Which is it? It begs the question, what do you come to Jesus for? And at a high level, there's really only two answers to that question. You either come to Jesus to get what you want, or you come to Jesus to get what he offers. And oftentimes, the answers to those are very different. So, what does it look like to come to Jesus to get what you want? It looks like Simon's response to Philip and to Peter and to John in this passage. Now, who was this man named Simon? 
Verse 9, he practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And then verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. The result of his magic and their amazement is verse 10. They said, this man is the power of God that is called great. They viewed Simon as a representative from God. They they viewed him as a channel of God's power, of God's revelation. And this isn't so surprising when you understand who was amazed by Simon and with whom Philip was sharing the gospel. These were the Samaritans. Now, who were the Samaritans? Well, their history goes back to the Old Testament. When God's people were taken into exile to Assyria, some of God's people were left behind in the land of Samaria. And there they intermarried with foreigners and they assimilated and incorporated their religious practices into their own. They even, the Samaritans, established a temple in their land and it was a rival to the temple in Jerusalem. The Old Testament expressly forbid this, but the way they got around it is they rejected all of the Old Testament except for the first five books. And so this was a people that they were looked down upon by the Jews. There was animosity. There was division between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a people that just patched their religion together. They took the parts of the Bible that fit for them. Then they took religious practices of others in the culture and they kind of mashed together this religion, which is why it's not surprising that they responded to this man, Simon, right? Simon the magician who was doing miraculous things and performing magic in front of them. But then along comes Philip. Philip comes into the city and he starts performing miracles and signs and it catches Simon's attention, right? Verse seven, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Simon saw this and he was impressed. He was impressed. This this plays out a little bit like the magicians in Egypt as Moses is going back to rescue God's people out of Egypt and there's this clash between the, the magicians in Egypt and Moses and every time the Magicians in Egypt would perform a miracle. Moses would perform a greater miracle. Simon is watching this, watching what Philip's doing, and he realizes that Philip has a source of power that outstrips his own. And he wants it. So verse 13 says he believed, and he began to follow Philip. But then Peter and John come from Jerusalem to check things out, and they begin to lay hands on the people who believed that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And it's at this point that we see what Simon's motivations were, why he believed. Verses 18 to 19. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon was hungry for power. He was hungry for control. He wanted to grow his business. He wanted to grow his following, grow his reputation. 
in modern day, he, he wanted more Twitter followers. He wanted more Facebook likes. He wanted more control. He wanted more power. Simon followed Philip, who was a messenger of Jesus, to get what he wanted. And his faith, which turns out to be no faith at all, was a very shallow faith. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 2 because Jesus had a very similar experience with people. In John 2 at the wedding, when Jesus uh, miraculously transformed the water into wine and he performed that miracle, what was the result? John 2, 23, many believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Jesus knew that they were coming to him to get what they wanted. He was a miracle worker and he could fix their problems and he could give them control over their problems. Jesus describes this response to him in the parable of the sower. He says the seed, some of the seed fell on rocky ground and it sprouted up right away. But then it withered because it had no roots. Couldn't get any water when the hot sun came out. And Jesus, Jesus basically says that's what it looks like to respond to him to get what you want. There's belief until life gets hard. There's belief until things start spinning wildly out of control. And then there's a falling away. You and I are no different than Simon. Simon wanted power and control. And so often you and I come to Jesus for control. We want control of our health. We want control of our finances. We want control of our careers. We want control of our children. We want control and we come to Jesus so that he can give it to us. If you come to Jesus to get what you want, you will ultimately be disappointed. If you come to Jesus to get what you want, you will be disappointed and your disappointment eventually will turn to bitterness and at some point, you will walk away from the faith, either explicitly or implicitly. I can tell you that my wife, Kim, and I, if we came to Jesus to get what we want, we would have walked away numerous times in disappointment. Numerous times. There are things that we think we want and that we think would make our lives a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. And I'm sure that's true of you as well. There was a group of Laotian refugees who were attending this pastor's church. They had been attending for a couple months. And after church one Sunday, they came up to the pastor and they said, we wanna become members of your church. And he knew that they were new didn't know about their faith, didn't under, know their understanding of the gospel, so he said, this is great. Would you be willing to, to go through a Gospel of Mark study with me? They said yes. At one of the studies, the pastor was reading through Jesus calming the storm. 
when Jesus is out on the sea and he calms the storm. And after reading the passage, he said to these Laotian refugees, what are the storms in your life? They had this puzzled look on their face. And he said, storms, we all have storms in our lives, problems and troubles and frustrations. The point of this passage is that Jesus comes to bring peace to us in the midst of our storms. What are your storms? And they still had this very puzzled look on their faces. And one of them hesitantly asked, do you mean that Jesus actually calmed the wind and sea in the middle of a storm? And this pastor, thinking that they thought this story was incredulous, said, well, yes, but let's don't get hung up on the problem of miracles. The point is that Jesus gives you peace in the midst of your storm. Awkward silence. Another one of the refugees spoke up and replied and said, well, if Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, he must be a powerful man. And all the refugees started nodding vigorously and excitedly chattered in their native language of Lao. And the pastor reflected and realized that they probably grasped the passage better than he did. Are you enamored by what Jesus can do for you? Or are you enamored by Jesus? Are you enamored by what Jesus can do for you? Or are you enamored by Jesus? If you come to Christ, and I will speak briefly to those of you here who are investigating, searching, trying to figure out who Jesus is. If you come to Jesus to get what you want, you will be disappointed at some point. So what's the other answer to the question, what do you come to Jesus for? If it's not coming to Jesus for what you want, then what is it? It's coming to Jesus for what he offers. And what does Jesus offer? He offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. After Simon offers to pay Peter and John money for the Holy Spirit, Peter says in verses 21 and 22, Simon, your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter offers Simon forgiveness. Interesting how Simon responds in verse 24. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now on the surface, this seems to be a response that maybe indicates that Simon is softening towards the Lord, but when you really read what he's saying, it's actually the picture of a man who is covered with pride and unbelief. Right? P 
Peter says to Simon, you need to pray to the Lord for forgiveness, Simon says to Peter, hey, Peter, will you go speak to the Lord for me? And notice his motivation, that nothing that you've said will happen to me. Peter had said to Simon, may you perish with your silver. Peter had spoken judgment to Simon. Simon was a man who refused to own his own wickedness, refused to own that his heart wasn't right, and therefore refused to turn to Jesus, refused to pray to Jesus, and was operating in full self-preservation mode. Jesus offers forgiveness, but to receive his forgiveness, you have to own your sin and believe that your biggest problem is your pride and unbelief, to own that and then turn to Jesus in repentance. Simon believed that his biggest problem was that he had followers that thought he was great, but now these followers were starting to go to Philip, who they thought was greater. Simon's biggest problem was that he felt like he didn't have enough power enough control to grow his name, image, and likeness. For those of you that know college football these days, Simon was building up his NIL, his name, image, likeness, and he didn't have enough power to do it. That was his biggest problem, at least he thought. And yet Simon's biggest problem was his pride and his unbelief. There's a story in Mark chapter two of Jesus preaching in a house. And as he's preaching and teaching, four men take a paralytic on a mat, they go up on the roof, they dig a hole in the roof and they drop him in front of Jesus. And everyone's standing there expecting Jesus to heal this paralytic. But the first thing that Jesus says to this paralytic is, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, so that you know I have authority to forgive sins, I will heal him. The paralytic's biggest problem was his sin, and his biggest need was forgiveness, not healing. What is your biggest problem in life right now? What is causing significant angst and significant frustration and significant trouble? With all grace, I'll tell you that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is the pride and unbelief of your heart in the midst of that circumstantial problem. Your circumstantial problem only exposes the deep heart problem that you have, which is functional unbelief and functional pride. And when you understand that, then you understand that your biggest need is not a circumstantial fix. 
but forgiveness and heart change. And when you understand your biggest problem is bubbled up through these circumstantial problems, then you come to Jesus not for what you want, which usually is circumstantial change, but you come to Jesus for forgiveness and for heart change, which is what he offers. What do you come to Jesus for? Not to get what you want, but to get what he offers. He offers forgiveness, primarily. But he also offers the gift of self-denial. The gift of self-denial. In verse 20, Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as the gift of God. Why is the Holy Spirit a gift? Well, there are two different responses to Philip in this passage when Philip brings the gospel to the Samaritans. You have the way the people respond to Philip, and you have the way that Simon responds to Philip. Verse 13 says that Simon believed, but that's all it says. We don't know what he believed. We don't know the content of his belief. We did just find out why he believed, but there's no content to it. Verse 12 says that the people believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So the people's belief was rooted in the kingdom of God and in Christ. And when Peter and John come to lay hands on, they lay hands on the people who receive the Spirit. Simon does not receive the Spirit. He doesn't have the apostles' hands laid on him. Upon repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, comes to live in you. What happens when the Spirit dwells in you? When the Spirit comes to dwell? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When the spirit comes to live in you, the spirit gives you new desires, a new heart. Prior to the spirit coming to live in you, you are on the throne of your life. When the Spirit comes to live in you, Christ is on the throne. Prior to the Spirit, you are at the center of the decisions you make. After the Spirit, Christ and others are at the center of the decisions that you make. Let me say it this way. The object of your relationship to the Holy Spirit is not that you might have more of him so that you can use him, but rather that he might have more of you and use you. That's why coming to Christ to get what you want is so dangerous, but oftentimes really hard and subtle to detect. Coming to Christ to get what you want is also labeled what would be called the prosperity gospel or a health and wealth gospel, which basically says that you come to Christ 
And if you are uh, consistently obedient to Christ, that He will bless you with health and with wealth. The problem with this view is that self is still at the center and on the throne. That you're, you're coming to Christ to get your desires met, and you're still at the center. It's a view that says God exists to give you what you want, and, there, and you learn ways to manipulate God so that He will give you what you want. Paul Devakamar, he's one of our missionaries in India, he teaches the good news of Jesus Christ in India where the dominant religion is Hinduism. And one of the problems that they face and that Paul faces is discerning true belief from false belief. And by that, he means it's really easy, fairly easy to get people to believe in Jesus Christ. But most often what that means is they take Jesus Christ and they put him on the shelf with their thousands of other gods that exist to serve some area of their life. And so they say yes to Jesus as another resource with all these other gods to serve them as they're in the center. That's what we see here in Acts 8 with Simon. He believed, but Jesus Christ was just a resource for him, right, to enhance life, to elevate life. What do you come to Jesus for? You come to Jesus not to get what you want, but to get what he offers. At the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we read of the persecution breaking out against the church. It was in the wake of Stephen's death. It says at the beginning of Acts 8 that Saul was ravaging the church. He was going into houses and taking men and women and throwing them in prison. It says that everyone in Jerusalem except the apostles, all the believers were scattered. They were exiled, pushed out of their homes into the surrounding regions. If you would have asked those men and women who were in prison, or you would have asked those men and women that got pushed out of Jerusalem and exiled into the surrounding regions, if they came to Jesus to get what they wanted, I mean, they would have laughed at that. They were in prison. They were forced out of their homes by this brutal persecution. They didn't come to Christ to get what they wanted. Upon true belief and repentance, the Holy Spirit changes your wanter. Apart from the Spirit, you want self, and you want self all the time, and you process life according to self. We are born and coming out of the womb in that condition. The Holy Spirit changes your wanter powers you to own your selfishness, your sin, to turn from it, to turn to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals who's really on the throne, and the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of self-denial. The gift of self-denial. In the acclaimed foreign film, Three Seasons, it's a series of vignettes about life in post-war Vietnam. And in one of these stories, 
There's a man named Hai. He's a, he's a cyclo driver. And there's a woman named Lon, and she's a beautiful prostitute. And both of them have unmet desires and deep longings. Lon longs to live in the beautiful places where she works, but never gets to spend the night. And she hopes by her prostitution she'll get enough money to get out of that lifestyle, but all it does is brutalizes her and enslaves her. And then High enters a cyclo race and he actually wins the race. And with the prize money from the race, he takes Lon to a hotel and he buys the hotel room and he pays her fee. And to everyone's shock, he tells her that he just wants to watch her fall asleep so that she can spend the night in a normal world and feel a sense of belonging. Initially, Lon is skeptical about this grace. She thinks Hai is trying to control her, but when she realizes that he's using his wealth and he's using his power to serve her instead of use her, she begins to transform and sees it impossible to go back into a life of prostitution. Jesus Christ has served you by dying for you. He used his power to serve you so that you could be transformed and leave a life of sin and self so that you could use your power to serve others rather than to use others. What do you come to Jesus for? Do you come to him to get what you want or do you come to him to get what he offers, which is forgiveness and the sweet gift of self-denial? Let's pray. Father, we confess that so often we come to you through your son Jesus to get what we want. That we manipulate you, that we, we try to force your hand to give us what we want, what we think would be best, what we think, we think would alleviate and make life easier and more comfortable. And we ask your forgiveness. We own our selfishness. We own our selfish desires. We ask by your Holy Spirit that you would draw our hearts to come to you to get what you offer, which is forgiveness. And would you help us to see that our deepest need is forgiveness, not circumstantial fixes that our biggest problem is not 
the circumstantial problem, but the problem of unbelief and pride in our hearts. Father, when we come to you through Jesus to get what you offer, would you reassure us with the forgiveness that's been bought and accomplished in Jesus? And would you give us the the gift of self-denial that we would be a people that don't use our wealth or our power to use others, but that we would use it to serve others and to see our neighborhoods and our workplaces in this city transformed. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.